So why does this matter? Why do we learn all this information about the Holy Spirit? Well, it matters because we learn that the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. And we also learn that the Holy Spirit is God, which means that God is never far from us. A lot of times we feel like God is far from us, but the reality is that God will never leave us, will never abandon us, because God lives inside of us in the Holy Spirit. It also means that God is constantly shaping us. The Holy Spirit is the one who draws us to Jesus in the first place. And then the Holy Spirit makes us look more and more like Jesus as time goes on. My name is Morgan Tucker. Our scripture reading today is found in John 16, 4b through 15. Let us stand for the reading of God's word. I did not tell you this from the beginning because I was with you, but now I am going to him who sent me. None of you asked me, where are you going? Rather, you are filled with grief because I have said these things. But very truly, I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin, because people do not believe in me. About righteousness, because I am going to the Father, where you can see me no longer. And about judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Brothers and sisters, good morning. I just have to take a second to thank and congratulate all the young musicians that were up here, and I think they deserve another hand. From the handbells to the ensemble to the choir, it's great to see young people involved in that way. I, some of you know I dabble in music a little bit, and uh, I might not have quit playing viola if I knew I could... Uh, uh, wear a Hawaiian shirt while playing Bach. That might have helped me a little bit. Well, my name is Jeff Leo, and I'm the uh, pastor of college and young adult ministries here at Lake Avenue Church, and it's my privilege to bring to you the Word, which can be found on page 1355 in your pew Bibles, and I invite you to take it out every Sunday because we'll be in and out of the text looking at uh, what's going on. In fact, there's a there's a difficult verse for us to really look at that I, I put a different translation on the screen on purpose so that we can have a conversation about what John is trying to say to us through his gospel. But before we get to the text, I want to tell you a story. And I want to take us back to my early days as a campus minister. In fact, I have a picture uh, that's going to come up on the screen behind me. Um, this was the place that I was standing when I had my first encounter with the Holy Spirit. And I feel like I'm taking a little bit of a risk by including this story because you see, um, 
I'm a PhD student, and we do really cerebral things. We ha- t- have very cerebral conversations, but this was no cerebral experience. This one was at the level of my very soul. I don't know how to explain this one away. So I don't know how it makes me look, but I just have to tell this story to you. It had been a long day. I had met with students in the morning. And our meeting is always in the evening. Not much has changed about my life. It was late on a Friday night. And all I wanted to do was go home and put my head on my pillow. That's all I wanted to do. And just out of the screen, to the left of the screen, is a set of double doors. And beyond that is another set of double doors. And just beyond that set is the exit to stately Angel Hall at the University of Michigan. As I was leaving from our evening gathering, making a beeline for the door, I was so excited to get home. As I passed by uh, the, the glass windows there, I noticed a young woman sitting there. And I blew by her on my way to that first set of double doors. And as I reached the first set of double doors, the Spirit of God caused me to stop, saying to me, go speak with that young woman. And so I opened the door and said, no, thank you, I'm very tired. (laughs) I reached the second set of double doors and the Spirit of God caused me to stop and said to me, I want you to speak to that young woman. And I said, I already told you no. And I went beyond that second set of double doors. As I began to go to the exit of Angel Hall, the Spirit of God spoke to me a third time, causing me to stop, saying, I want you to talk to that young woman. The story of Peter came to mind. And we knew what happened to him. So I decided I didn't want that to happen to me. And I went back. And I did something that maybe you've heard people doing these kinds of very strange things. I had one of the most awkward conversations of my life that began something like this. Um, Hi. Uh, I don't know what I'm doing here. But uh, I think I'm supposed to talk to you about... Jesus, and the tears began rolling down her face as she told me how opportune it was that someone would stop and encourage her about the activity of God in her life and our great God's love for her. I tell that story because the Spirit of God works in our lives in very real ways. And in fact, as I've collected stories throughout this week of the work of the Spirit in people's lives, I've noticed some themes, and I can't wait to tell you these stories and what I've found as I've talked to people. But I know that talking about the Holy Spirit can be a little bit risky because people have different reactions. But I want you to know that today's passage teaches us a very clear message about what the Holy Spirit does in our lives. And it's this. We're going to put it on the screen. If you want to experience the power and presence of the Spirit then we must together make our life about the glory of God in Jesus Christ. 
Do you want to experience the power and presence of the Holy Spirit? Then you give God the glory in Jesus Christ. You make your life about sharing that glory with others. And every time you do that, you will experience something. I guarantee it. But the risk is this. When I tell weird stories about what the Holy Spirit has done in my life, and when you hear those kinds of things, the next day or the next week or the next month, somebody's going to come into my office and say, but, but Jeff, this is not my experience. In fact, the more we tell these kinds of stories... I know that one of the intent, unintended consequences is that people begin to feel a little bit more distant from God because crazy things don't happen in their lives. And I know it's due to a, a faulty impression that my experience is supposed to be your experience. It doesn't work that way. And yet we want to tell everyone that the Spirit of God brings Jesus close to us and that He's really here with us. Well, I think our statement of faith this morning, Article 6, has been crafted very wisely because people say all kinds of things about what they think the Spirit does in their lives. But Article 6 tells us what we know the Spirit does in our lives, and I think it's three things, three things that the Spirit came for. The first one is this. The Spirit came so that Jesus would be present among us. We know that Jesus ascended beyond the clouds, and yet the Holy Spirit makes Him close to us. The second is this. The Spirit came in order to raise a family, the family of Jesus, to knit us together as we gather together. And the third thing is this. The Spirit came to focus our lives together on the glory of God in Jesus Christ. The Spirit doesn't just do what it, He wants to, to do. The Spirit points us to the place where our attention is supposed to be, the glory of God in Jesus Christ. It's these three things that we should come to expect from the Spirit, the things that the Spirit does. So let's talk about the first one. The Holy Spirit came so that Jesus would be present among us. I want you to think, what is it that Jesus did in his earthly life? Just by virtue of the fact that he was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary, we have God with us. Emmanuel. God came to be with us. He dwelt among us. He walked with us. He threw his arm around people who cried. He joined their tears. Jesus, God with us. But it doesn't stop there. He taught his followers. In fact, one day the crowd was so large, Bunching up around him, he pushed out in a boat onto a lake so that his voice could bounce off the water and his teaching could reach the multitudes that were gathered around him. He taught his people what life ought to be like, who God was, what their destiny would be. He taught his people. But not just that, he guided them. He showed them the way to live. He showed them how to care for the least of these, how to receive the little ones into his own how to heal, how to raise the dead, how to live with joy, and how to have a party. This Jesus. But not just that. He sent out the twelve and then the seventy-two, equipping them for the ministry that they were supposed to do, teaching them what to expect and how to conduct themselves on their way in ministry. These are the kinds of things that Jesus did in his earthly life. And then we get to verse 6. Because I have said these things, you are filled with grief. 
He was telling them about his departure. He was telling them about his death. And they were filled with grief. But I tell you the truth, it is good for you that I am going away. For unless I go away, the counselor, the advocate, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So Jesus promises the Holy Spirit. Now what does the Holy Spirit do? Well, it does what Article 6 says he does. He indwells, illuminates, guides, equips, and empowers believers for Christ-like living and service. Do you see what has happened there? Jesus dwelt with us. The Spirit dwells. Jesus teaches. The Spirit illuminates. Jesus guides. So does the Spirit. In fact, the Spirit continues the work of Jesus in the disciples' life. And 2,000 years later, the Spirit continues Jesus' work here among us. What is the Spirit doing? What Jesus would do if he were here. Because this is the Spirit of Jesus. He has not left. Jesus may have ascended, but he is not gone. By the presence and power of his Spirit, he is still here. In fact, we see that it's supposed to be this way because of what we read in Acts chapter 2. When the floodgates open and the Spirit rushes forth, People can understand the gospel in their own language and have access directly to God because His Spirit is present. In fact, the beginning of the worldwide Christian movement through time, history, and in every place is a product of the work of the love of the Holy Spirit. Everywhere present and yet. I'm aware enough to know that some of us feel distant from this everywhere present God. I have been there too. Occasionally, though I would say rarely, it's folks who are doing everything right. You may be familiar with the story of Mother Teresa whose own anguished sense of distance from God pained her greatly in her writings that were published posthumously that her own dark night of the soul as she labored among the sick and dying in the streets of Calcutta. She felt, where is God? And yet, when we look at what she did, the life that she lived, none of us could say that the Spirit of God had left her. For look at the love that she showed. In fact, not just us, but anyone who looks on her life sees that there's something special there. I have watched people chronically feel this way. And all I know from my own experience is that when we feel this way, it is the family of God that is to surround us so that we know that the the Spirit of God is here with us. When I feel alone, when I feel alone, it is you, it is we, who bring the presence of God close to one another. But sometimes there may be a different problem. In fact, I would say usually when we sense distance from God, there is another more serious problem. Most frequently it is some kind of sinfulness that impedes us. A few weeks ago I had the privilege of talking to us in Article 3 about the wonderful doctrine of sin. And I shared with us that there are two basic kinds of sin sins of commission, the things that we should have relinquished but we didn't, 
the things that we're engaged in, the people that we're attached to that we should have let go of, the behaviors that we can't stop doing. And then we wonder to ourselves, why do we feel distant from God? Well, there's something that you need to know. Even in those moments, God is still close to you, beckoning to draw you out from that place. But sometimes it's our sins of omission. You remember what those are, the things that we forget to do. That we're not actively pursuing Christ-like living and service. Because I think sometimes we get the impression that when it comes to serving God, there are only two items on the menu. You can either be inactive or you can be unattractive. Unattractive... We're afraid of looking crazy. It's like Pastor Jeff walking up to somebody saying, Hi. We're afraid of picking up a huge banner and parading down the street and telling people messages that they don't want to hear. We're afraid of looking like a kind of people who are not from this place. I think that experience is true to many of us, but then we think that the only other option, therefore, is to be inactive, that this is not somehow my calling. I'm not called to another country to serve Ebola patients. And so we end up doing nothing. But I'm happy to report this morning that the, that the menu is actually really long. In fact, there are so many ways to serve God that we ought to be calling ordinary faithfulness. Ordinary faithfulness. I want, I want to give you an example. There's a small group here at Lake Avenue Church of which I'm very fond. Some of my best friends are in this small group. And they call themselves a missional small group. They want to keep front and center the idea that God has a purpose for us gathered together and it's somewhere out there, not in this place. And what they want to do is to reach the people that they come into contact with. So they decided to do something. They decided, get this, to throw a party for their neighbors. It sounds quite ordinary to me. I might have even gone. One of the uh, members of the small group happens to be one of my coworkers, and she said to me that her experience was really exciting. It just so happened that one of the neighbors decided to come to this party. In fact, many of the neighbors were in attendance. And as she began to have a conversation with this neighbor, she found out that this woman that she was talking to came from a different faith tradition. And as they got to know one another, something very ordinary happened. This woman from another faith tradition invited my friend over to her house. It sounds very ordinary. And my friend said to me, you know, Jeff, I actually don't feel like I have any idea what I'm doing. And that's how I knew that everything was okay. Because she wants to follow the Spirit of the Lord to give her words to say in his own timing that this person might come to know the God who loves her. The God who loves her. This kind of missional activity, this kind of obedience to the Spirit... That's what we want to see in all of us. Because, because, do you really think it's possible to say yes to Jesus and then no to his Holy Spirit? Well, of course not. It's not possible. And I'll tell you why. Because 
The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Jesus. Saying yes to Him however many years ago implies that you will continue to say yes to that very same Jesus as the Holy Spirit leads you onward. You will say yes to Him. And let me tell you, He's asking you to do some pretty ordinary things in your workplace, in your home. This Jesus comes close to us by the Holy Spirit. And you might think we're not really saying much when we say that God is everywhere present. It's like, it's like when we say everyone's special, because then really no one's special. And so we, we begin to think, well, if God is everywhere present, then he must be here in a generic sense, but he's not really here where I need him to be today. And I want to remind you of what Article 6 says and what the New Testament says to us. It uses a very important word, the word indwelling. That if you have given yourself to Jesus, then the Spirit entangles Himself, His life, with your life. Inextricably, He cannot be pulled apart from you. He's not just here in some generic sense. He indwells us. He is with us in a very intimate way. But lest we get it wrong, I want to make sure I'm very clear. The Spirit does not just indwell individuals. You've heard it from this pulpit over and over again because each of us is working to turn the Titanic so that we begin to think of our shared faith, our life together. In fact, when Paul writes to the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, he says, you together are that temple of the Holy Spirit. You see, it's not the case that you are individual, not just the case that you are individual temples walking around, but together, throughout time and throughout space, the church, capital C, is that place, that people, where the Spirit of God dwells for the sake of God's glory in Jesus Christ among the nations. That's what He's doing. He dwells in us because the Holy Spirit came to raise a family, the family of Jesus that's why Article 6 says, Through the Spirit, they are baptized into union with Christ and adopted as heirs into the family of God. And life in this family is characterized by three things in verses 8 through 12. So let's turn there now. This is where the translation becomes a little interesting. Verse 8 says, When he comes, in the Pew Bible, it says, He will convict the world of guilt in regarding to sin and righteousness and judgment. What we had read on the screen was something more like, He will come to prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. Other translations will just say, He came to convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. What's going on there? Why was that so hard to translate? Well, it's not just the case that we need to be proved intellectually wrong about the way we think. It's not just the case that we need to be shown that we're guilty. It's far more important to point to the Jesus Christ who is sinless, righteous, and who is the just judge. That's what's happening here in John. The Spirit came to convict the world concerning sin, verse 9. Why? Because they did not believe in me. They did not believe. In fact, who was it that called Jesus a blasphemer? Who associated the work of Jesus with the work of Beelzebub? Who said that he was a sinner? It was his adversaries, and they did not believe in him. So Jesus says here through the writer John, 
It was Jesus who had no sin. Jesus had no sin. But we do. And so the family of Jesus is a community of sinners who worship a sinless Savior. Has the Holy Spirit convicted you of this? Of your sinfulness? The Spirit came to convict the world concerning righteousness, verse 10. Because I go to the Father, Jesus says. This term righteousness carries the connotation of justice because Jesus was righteousness and justice incarnate. Even though the court convicted him, it turns out Jesus was right. In fact, that means that the family of Jesus is a community of justice and righteousness. Justice being something that you do which makes us right with God and right with others. It makes us righteous. We are to do justice for our neighbors and for the most vulnerable among us because, brothers and sisters, no one wants to be adopted into a family of injustice. We're supposed to be something different. And I want to tell you a little bit about how that works. The Price of Life Invitational is a new kind of approach to evangelism and mission. I'm going to throw a picture on the screen so you can see what students are doing around the country. Here behind me, you're going to have a long train of students who are trying to speak the gospel into injustice. The Price of Life Invitational is a citywide campaign-style mission that proclaims the gospel of Jesus Christ over and against the modern-day slave trade, which we call human trafficking. Last year in the city of New York, over 17 campuses were engaged over the course of 12 days using over 100 individual events to teach, to raise awareness, and to show that the gospel is the answer to injustice. Over 12,000 students were engaged in conversation. Of that number, 5,900 or more received the full gospel message. Brothers and sisters, what do you think happened that week? Hundreds of students come to give their lives over to Jesus because this is the Jesus who makes the difference in our lives here and now. The family of Jesus is a family of justice and righteousness that's the family they want to be adopted into. You see, Jesus ascended to the right hand of the Father to rule as a king, which makes us agents of the king, agents of justice and righteousness. Has the Holy Spirit convicted you of this? That justice and righteousness is what the family is supposed to display? Concerning judgment in verse 11, the Holy Spirit came to convict the world concerning judgment because the prince of this world now stands condemned. So long ago, it was Jesus who was condemned to die, but do you know what happened at the cross? He turned it around in a twist of fate, and the enemy, Satan himself, was condemned forever. That's what Jesus accomplished at the cross. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure. For lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fell him. Ah, oh, the name of Jesus. 
When I surveyed our young adults on Tuesday night, I asked them about what they believe about this prince of this world. I found out that most of them believe in what the Bible describes in Ephesians chapter 6 as the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. They believe that this is not a fiction, that we really do wrestle with more than just flesh and blood in this life. And so, the family of Jesus is a group of people who have been delivered from evil, real evil in this world, and who combat it, who stand against it wherever they might find it, and who help one another to do so in our prayers and ministry unto one another. Has the Spirit convicted you of this? That the enemy is the one who is condemned, and that we have been set free. This is our family life. This is our shared faith. Convicted of our sinfulness. Committed to righteousness and justice. Combating the forces of evil in our prayers and ministry unto one another. We are to be knit together by this Spirit. This is why He came. In fact, we can only be empowered for Christ-like living and service together as a family. Let me be absolutely clear with you, brothers and sisters. Christ-like living cannot be accomplished in private. Come out of your prayer closets now. The final product, I've thought about this a lot, what are we trying to accomplish here at Lake Avenue Church? The final product of all of our effort is not merely individual disciples. That era is gone. But instead, what the Bible describes to us is a final product in a growing family. A family of people from every tribe, nation, and language whose experience and whose testimony is that Jesus is Lord. This is a family that is increasingly faithful, increasingly loving, increasingly diverse, increasingly effective at doing justice. This is the family that the Spirit works to bring about. So says the Lord in John chapter 16. And it's all because the family of Jesus is drawn, centered upon this one person, Jesus Christ, the one who rescued and delivered us from the power of sin. And this is why the Spirit came to focus our lives on the glory of God in Jesus Christ. Article 6 tells us the Holy Spirit, in all that He does, glorifies the Lord Jesus Christ. It's just like what verse 14 says. He will bring glory to me by taking from, uh, taking from what is mine and making it known to you. In their grief that Jesus was leaving them, they couldn't stand Him talking anymore. No more about the cosmic significance of what you're about to do, Jesus. We're just sad that you're leaving. But thanks to the Holy Spirit, we have preserved for us in these pages the end of the story. We know what's going to happen. We learn Jesus is the risen and ascended Savior who breaks every chain and delivers His people from evil. We know that Jesus is the lover of our souls who replaces hearts of stone with hearts of flesh and gives us a new song to sing. We know that Jesus is the head of a new family, the church, which He fashioned from enemies. 
enemies of God and enemies of one another, He crammed us together and made us a family. We know that Jesus is the returning one who comes in glory, bringing heaven and earth together. And He will lead us into eternal rest. To know this Jesus is a work of the Spirit. And to make Him known through our testimony and our life is the spiritual work given to the church, the work of evangelism and mission. I would love to know how many of you have encountered the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit in your work of evangelism. I know that you're out there. This week I asked people about the times they've witnessed the work of the Spirit and a very clear theme emerged. Evangelism, sharing about Jesus, bringing other people to know Him. They saw the Spirit do incredible things. One student explained to me that all she received was a name in her head and she went about the city of Pasadena looking for this guy, asking many people, are you Alex? And they kept saying no until someone came to know the Lord. And they were related to an Alex distantly. I don't know, it's, 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 it's a very different kind of thing. But this is the kind of thing that we should expect because of what we read in the book of Acts. It should be called the Acts of the Holy Spirit because Paul, Barnabas, Peter, Priscilla and Aquila, Lydia, all they had to do was stand back and watch what the Holy Spirit made possible. This is the kind of God that we serve who goes before us to fight the battle. For those of you who belong to Jesus, I want you to think about it this way. Think about when it is that you came to know the Lord Whoever was watching you was watching your life transformed from the inside out. Imagine what it was like for them to watch that transformation. We ought to celebrate that. I hope we celebrate the right things here at Lake Avenue Church because I want to celebrate your transformed life. In fact, let me ask this. I've asked all the the other two services this question. How many of you, survey time, how many of you came to know Jesus or came back to Jesus in the last five years. How many of you? I tell you, you see these hands. The Spirit of God is at work. And if you haven't been properly celebrated, I want you to come to me later and I'll buy you a piece of cake because we need to celebrate. We've got to celebrate the right things because the Spirit of God is here. We must celebrate what He's doing. In fact, when we close the service in song, lift your hearts to God for He is worthy to be praised. Now, can you imagine what it would be like for a city to be transformed? In the book of Acts, we find out what that's like. The idle manufacturing business goes out of business and all those shops have to be retooled for a different purpose now. The church rummage sale was not even a sale because everything was free and it lasted for many days. Oppressor and oppressed became family. Can you imagine what it would be like for the San Gabriel Valley to be transformed? Our pastors, some of our pastors and our elected leaders are coming back from the ministry council retreat and they were trying to imagine that kind of transformation here in this place and in this city and in this valley. So our prayers for our leaders is that they keep in mind that the Holy Spirit is on the move. He does not stay still, so we cannot remain inactive. 
We pray for our leaders to be able to follow the Holy Spirit's leadership. And that means that we pray for the Holy Spirit's presence among us. That the Holy Spirit would guide us into all truth, convicting us of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Making us to focus on the task of Jesus' name becoming glorious in this place and in this city and in the nations. I have asked us several times this morning, has the Holy Spirit convicted you of this? Brothers and sisters, if the Spirit has yet to work in your life the way that Jesus promises that He should, and you want Him to, you've got to come pray with us. At the end of the service, our pastors and prayer counselors will be here to pray with you, to call down the Spirit's presence to you, that you might be empowered for Christ-like living and service, to know that He is near, if you have not for all of us to experience the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. Let us pray. Spirit of the living God, we call you down as the prophets and the apostles did so often. We call you down because we know the world needs you, because we need you. Come be with us, Holy Spirit. Dwell within us. Guide us, empower us, equip us to live like your son Jesus. Continue your work until the end of the age so that your son may receive even more glory from the nations. We pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen and amen.